This is Jeffrey Sachs, editor of Tradition. By now, our subscribers have started receiving the special issue of our journal dedicated to the thought of Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, commemorating his 120th birthday and 30th Yeritzite, which was marked on the fourth day of Passover. If you're not a subscriber, well, you're missing out. A situation easily rectified at traditiononline.org, where you can also order this most recent 230-page issue, as well as access select content, including my introduction, titled, We Read the Rav to Know We Are Not Alone in Loneliness, presented here now as an audio editor's note. Writing in April 1957, on the official letterhead of Congregation Kodima of Springfield, Massachusetts, 29-year-old Rabbi Norman Lamb informed his colleague, Dr. Marvin Fox, then an instructor of philosophy at Ohio State University, the Rav has given us official permission to start nudging him for his own contribution after Pesach. I wrote a note to him on some other topic and mentioned this, Derech Agav, a call from you, make it sound urgent and immediate, may be useful. Lamb and Fox had been conspiring to draft Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik as a contributor to the not-yet-named Journal of Orthodox Jewish Thought, which they had been struggling to launch for over a year. It would be another year and a half before Tradition's first issue arrived in fall 1958, published by the Rabbinical Council of America. Although the Rav's confrontation on interfaith matters, his first major essay in English, appeared in our spring-summer 1964 issue, the promised contribution our editors had been discussing years earlier was, in fact, a different item. An editorial note in our winter 1964-65 issue informed subscribers, The editors of Tradition are pleased to announce that the next issue of Tradition will feature an important article, Man and His Faith Vis-a-Vis the Modern Society, by Dr. Joseph B. Soloveitchik. Chaim Bravender, then a rabbinical student at Yeshiva University, who would go on to a storied career in Torah education in Israel, served as associate managing editor of the journal during that preceding academic year. He reports that Rabbi Walter Wurzberger, who had inherited the editorship from Lamb in 1962, remaining at the helm for 26 years, assigned him with the task of continuing the journal's nudging of Rabbi Soloveitchik. His efforts paid off one day, as the Rav thrust a manila envelope at him from between the closing doors of the elevator in Yeshiva University's first hall, saying, Here, Bravender, now stop hocking me! The envelope contained the manuscript, published in summer 65, retitled The Lonely Man of Faith, which would become one of the most significant works of Jewish thought penned in the 20th century in any language. Nearly a decade earlier, Lamb, Fox, and their team, in conceiving what tradition might become, considered it obvious that no serious initiative in contemporary Jewish thought could be undertaken without the Rav's contribution. This, despite the challenge of his family tradition to publish little or nothing, their nudging was necessary, and his procrastination might have been anticipated they surely understood how potentially transformative the Rav's machshava, if committed to writing, would be in the life of 
mid-century orthodoxy. The journal was in its initial planning stages, just as sociologist Marshall Sclair proposed that American orthodoxy be best viewed as a case study of institutional decay. Tradition became the first and most important platform to publish the Ruv's English writing, and later featured the slow but eventually steady dissemination of analysis and interpretation of his philosophy and teachings by his students. If elsewhere described the impact of first encountering the Ruv's tradition essays, at a time when it would have been quite impossible for me to imagine I would one day be occupying this editor's office. Arriving at my own commitment to Jewish life and observance, during those twilight years, when he was no longer on the public stage, yet omnipresent in American modern orthodoxy, much of whom I became as a religious person, was shaped by the Rav's Torah and thought as filtered through his students and his own writing. If, as C.S. Lewis was purported to have said, we read to know we are not alone, I read thereof to know that I was not alone in my loneliness. Among the most important lessons that I took away from those years was, first, the idea that we have nothing to fear. Torah, or perhaps the Rav's term halacha, broadly defined, would be more than capable of grappling with whatever challenge may arise in my adolescent and later more mature mind. And even when the answers are not always readily apparent, I could take comfort in the idea that others before me had thought about the problem, continued to think about it, and in the paraphrase of some Yiddish expression I could not have then known, it would not prove fatal. Second, and more significantly, the Rav's model created a permission structure for faith. It offered the promise that if motivated by love and not fear, my decisions leading in one direction did not mean severing ties with the world, family, and a version of my own self. The Rav's message allowed me entree to the covenantal community, knowing that I could remain at home and even be called back to the majestic realm. It bound the two sides and selves together with the connective ivy of the halacha. It is my belief that the power and impact of the Rav's teachings in these ways and other future directions that we may scarcely be able to imagine today will continue to vivify Jewish life and learning for many generations to come. And now, nearly six decades after his first appearance in our pages, four decades since his exit from public life and 30 years since his passing, what is the enduring legacy of the man who was, quote, an intellectual colossus astride the various continents of human intellectual achievement and all forms of Jewish thought? That's Rav Aaron Lichtenstein's formulation, channeling the bard. That question runs as a thread, albeit occasionally hidden behind the weave, through most of the 11 contributions in our special issue, marking the 120th year of the Rav's birth and his 30th yard site. It's a question we dare not ignore, for while his teaching is as eternal as the halachic tradition which he so nobly articulated and defended, it must be conveyed to more and more members of generations who, 
did not know Yosef Dove, and who organized their inner religious lives around questions, realities, and experiences that would have been alarmingly unfamiliar to the Rav in his day. Proud of our historic association with the Rav's writings, tradition is particularly pleased to present these new studies by veteran scholars of his Torah, alongside remarkable younger writers who offer some of the new insights and understandings that are gleaned in each and every generation. This issue is being published as part of a cluster of content generated during this season of marking these special round anniversaries. Among the other noteworthy offerings is a special digital book publication of lecture notes transcribed by Rabbi Yaakov Hamnik on a course Rabbi Soloveitchik delivered at the Bernard Revel Graduate School in 1946-47. These lectures, Concepts in Halakha as elaborated upon by the Agadah and Kabbalah, present a sustained argument for the preeminence of Halakha within Jewish tradition, above and beyond the realms of Agadah and Kabbalah. The Rav argues that the centrality of Halakha served to shift the balance of Judaism away from other modes of expression. He writes, The greatest contribution of the Halakha was its purging Judaism of all magical, mythical, and ceremonial elements. The mitzvot are all intellectualized, thereby severing them from all mystical rites. As in science, halakha does away with essences and substances. It formalizes and abstracts them. In this way, the transcribed lectures serve as an important window into the mind of the author of Halachic Man, first published in Hebrew just a year earlier. The volume, available for free download on our website, is co-published by tradition with the Bernard Revel Graduate School and contains contributions by Daniel Reinhold, Shlomo Zukier, and me. Additionally, visit traditiononline.org's archive section to delve into all of the Rav's writings published in tradition, alongside the many dozens of items exploring his thought. We're particularly pleased to announce that Ellie Turkel's bibliography of works by and about Rabbi Soloveitchik is now housed at and will be maintained and updated on our website. Finally, on the Rav's birthday, the 12th of Adar, March 5th this year, we convened an online conversation hosted by webyeshiva.org, which discussed many of the themes in this special issue and which can be viewed on Tradition's YouTube channel. And yet, despite this flurry of Rav-related content and activity, I am mindful of a piece of typically apropos advice offered by Dr. Tova Lichtenstein shortly after I was named editor of Tradition. She told me, It shouldn't all be about my father. When making my way through manuscripts and swimming through submissions, I sometimes think there's a caricature of typical essays authors imagine when preparing an essay for our journal. No matter how remote the topic, some writers fear that unless they open with a quote from The Lonely Man of Faith and include one reference to Halachic Man's footnote number four, we will reject the item out of hand. This is both frustrating and troubling, because perhaps above almost all other traits, the Rav placed creativity at the summit of religious values. Writing, in a 1978 tradition essay, Majesty and Humility, God wills man to be a creator, 
his first job is to create himself as a complete being. Man is created in the image of God, but this image is a challenge to be met, not a gratuitous gift. It is up to man to objectify himself, to impress form upon latent personality, and to move from the helic, silent personality towards the center of objective reality. The highest norm in our moral code is to be, in a total sense, to liberate oneself from the bondage of a shadowy non-being, to use platonic jargon, and to move toward the wide spaces of real true being, full of song and joy. As we continue to study his Torah and receive inspiration from his thought, we are reminded that he admonished his Talmidim time and again to think for themselves. Perhaps we would best honor him by asking WWJBSD, what would Rabbi Soloveitchik do a little less frequently? We will flourish as a religious community and be most loyal to his teachings by continuing the creative struggle to confront the religious spiritual, intellectual, and moral challenges of our day with no fear, to create ourselves as complete beings and complete communities.